All right, good morning. My name is Robert Smith. Everybody say hello, Robert. I come from the great state of Oklahoma. I think, did someone say yeehaw? All right, yeehaw, yeah. Sure, we'll take that. We'll take it. I like it. That's a lot better. Like when I'm in Texas, they say boo, you know. So you guys are, you guys are kinder. Um, this is my third year of being a part of this incredible thing that, that your church calls Axis Weekend. And man, it is an absolute privilege to, to have the opportunity to be back three consecutive years and to see how God is moving and growing uh, in your church and then in your student ministry. And I'm just, I'm blown away. Um, I'm blown away by the time, the energy, the effort, the money that your church has prioritized to spend in the younger generation. Um, And man, can I tell you guys something? You have an incredible group of students sitting here in this room this morning. (laughs) It's for for all of the negative that we see on the news and on social media about this younger generation. I I, I wish we saw a lot of the positive that's happening as well, that that you guys have got um, a handful of students. Uh, You've got a ton of students that have given of their time, their energy, their money to come and to grow in their relationship with the Lord. And and, and man, that is incredible because there are other teenagers that are not doing what they're doing this weekend. And so I applaud you guys. I commend you. Students, you're awesome. And then also, I hope you guys know that you have an incredible staff. You got, man, you have incredible adults and incredible leaders that have helped to pull this off. Um, and, and what a blessing that you guys have been given. Um, and Eric to lead your youth ministry, that he pours um, his, his blood, sweat, tears, and all into these students. And so you guys are, are blessed with such an incredible um, pastoral staff, an incredible church that loves and, and is making investments in what really counts and what really matters with this younger generation. So man, just thank you guys for that. And thank you for allowing me to be back and to be a part of Axis Weekend. So what we've talked about with your students, this, this, this weekend has had much depth to it because we've talked about the ebbs and flows of life. And we've talked about um, the mountaintop, we've talked about the valley, and we've talked about the wilderness. And we've talked about how life has high points and then life has low points and everything in between. So students, help me out. We talked about the mountaintop, and whenever we talked about the mountaintop, we said that the mountaintop experience is not just to inform us. And it's not just to inspire us, but what what happens on the mountaintop, the purpose of the mountaintop is it's to what? Transform us. And we see this throughout scripture, right? That mountaintop experiences that God has allowed his people to have, whenever they leave the mountaintop, they're not the same. It's not just information, it's not just inspiration, but God uses those mountaintop experiences to transform us into who he wants us to be. If you're anything like me, you've had those experiences, right? Where you can remember what God has said and what God has done and what he's taught you on the mountaintop and that he uses those experiences to to fuel you through the valley and through the wilderness. But we talked about how we weren't created for the mountaintop, that God won't allow us to stay on the mountaintop. Because valley is where life is really lived. Because guess who's in the valley? People. Sometimes we don't like that, by the way, right? If you're anything, I'm more naturally introverted and like me and God and just a few other people, I'm good with that. But you know, we were put on this earth to spend our lives pouring into other people. 
And so the valley is necessary because that's where the people are. That's where the hurting people are. And we said this um, about the valley. We said that in the valley, God develops my what, students? Our character. And then we talked about the wilderness. And last night we talked about the wilderness. And we said that, that through Scripture we see two different ways that we end up in the wilderness. One, sometimes we run to the wilderness because life has gotten rough and things are not going the way that we want them to go. Um, and, and maybe the cards that have been dealt to you are unfavorable and perhaps you've ran to the wilderness. I can relate to that. I don't know if any of you can. That life didn't turn out the way it was supposed to turn out. Things didn't go the way they were supposed to go. Following Jesus was not supposed to be this difficult. Things were not supposed to be this hard. And if we're honest with each other, we've probably all had moments in life where we've said, God, thanks, but no thanks. And we've ran. We've ran to the wilderness where although we know God is with us, we often feel like he's not. And then there are other examples in scripture where God leads us into the wilderness. And as we saw with the story of Moses and the children of Israel, as God led them into the wilderness, part of what he was saying to them is, I will provide for you every day. And what they found out in the wilderness is that God was enough and they needed to keep going. Maybe you're in that period of life. Right? Where God has led you to this dark time. And in this dark moment, you've discovered that God is closer to you than he's ever been. Anybody ever been there? And that's what we've talked about with your students. And so this morning, we're going we're gonna to jump back and we're going to talk about the valley as a church. Because the majority of our lives are spent in the valley. And I told your students, I said, the purpose of the valley is to develop my character. Now, can we be honest? Who likes this phrase? Does anybody even like character development? Right? Doesn't that sound like something that your parents would say to you growing up? You know, like, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. You're like, yeah, I don't think so, right? Or like, have you ever been around the type of person that whenever you're going through something that you don't want to go through and it kind of stinks, that the thing that they offer to you is they go, well, this will be good for you. Really? Would it be good for me to do what I want to do to you right now? Like, it, it'll be good for you. You'll like that. Like development when your boss says, hey, everybody come to work this week. We're going to do staff development. There's a collective like, wah, wah, wah. Because really, you know, that's code word for somebody in here messed up. And we're all about to suffer the brunt uh, of his wrath for what we did wrong. Like development, we're not so, we're not so interested in that. And when we think about God developing our character, if you're anything like me, I'm like, is there some kind of quick fix that we can do instead of this development? Like, God, if this is something you want to do in me, can you just go ahead and just make it happen? Like, if you're trying to produce some character inside of me, God, teach me something like, let's just do us all a solid favor here and just, can you just make it happen? Because I don't want the development part. Right? You, you, you and I, we're, we're a part of a quick fix, instant gratification society. Like we, we want it all and we want it now. And so if this is what God's doing, let's just make it happen immediately. Your, your passage that we're going to look at this morning is going to be in Philippians chapter 4. And it's one that we're all familiar with. It's, it's um, often misquoted or misinterpreted or taken out of context. And I, I want you to think for a second because we're all familiar with Philippians chapter 4, 13, most likely that says, what does it say? I can do all things, right? And for some of us, we think, well, that means that I can dunk a basketball or score a touchdown. 
through Christ who gives me strength. I've tried that. Apparently, he's not giving me enough strength. Um, and, and, and although certainly there's some good things in that verse, the context of it is really important. So I want you to kind of uh, erase your preconceived notions of what you think about this verse. And I want us to see it from the way that, that, that in context that the author is actually writing it. And he, he says something in there that, that for the, the people that would have originally heard this, there was a buzzword or a phrase that he uses that would have immediately caught their attention. Because Paul says this, he says, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. So for, for the listener with new age religion and mysticism and some of the different things that were happening in the culture, they were all about the secrets, They were all about the quick fixes. They were all about getting the edge on the right information. Not much different than us today, right? They said, what's the secret? So the listener's ears would have perked up and said, okay, Paul, what's, what's the secret? Give us this information. And for me, when I read this, this is almost like this is a form of clickbait. Do you see, have you ever been on the internet before and you've been browsing and you see something that just catches your attention and it's like, oh, Mm, this is probably too good to be true, but I'm going to click on it anyway, right? We love a secret. We love a big, juicy secret. We love to know something that nobody else knows. We love something that can give us a competitive edge. We love something that we think can position us where we can do better than the person that's next to us or something that can cut off um, some steps that we don't want to take. We love that. And Paul says, I've learned the secret to being content. I think of it like this. It would be the equivalent of if you're browsing on the Internet and you come across um, this, this slide here. Get from this to this in just four weeks with our super secret six-pack program. Does this sound good to anyone else? Like if you process things the way I do, you kind of maybe look at your physique and you're like, eh. It took me 30 years to get this way, but if I can knock all that out in four weeks, like, I'm down, right? Let's let's go for it. Sounds like a great thing. And I love love what it says there. It says, LOL, the asterisk, not a chance. If you feel like sending us $500 for our secret, please feel free to do so. Operators are standing by, right? Like, there really is no quick fix. And what we're going to talk about, Paul says, "I, I found the secret of being content in any and every situation. And we're going to talk about what it looks like to be content in the valley in any and every situation. We're going to look at what Paul says his secret is. Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. So in context, he says, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. So Paul says, remove the external circumstances. I've, I've gone through everything in life. I've had a lot, and I've had little. I've been shipwrecked. I've been beaten. He tells us the story as he writes these letters in Scripture. He's gone through everything. He's been held in high esteem and he's been embarrassed publicly. He's gone through all of the external things that you could possibly imagine. He says, I've I've gone through all of this and I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty and I have learned the secret 
Now, I love what he says here. He says, I have learned the secret. Means that he hasn't always known it and he hasn't always lived this way. But as he has gone through life, life has taught him a lesson. Anybody ever been like this before? Anybody in here learned some lessons as you've gone through the ups and downs of life? Right? I don't want you to beat yourself up this morning because you go, well, I don't know this secret. Listen, Paul didn't always know this. It was something that he actually learned through life experience. He says, I've learned it. I've, I've, it's been developed in me. It's happened over the years. Anybody in here, as you've gotten older, do you feel anything like, like this? Do you feel like you know less now than you did whenever you were younger? Can you relate to that? In a lot of ways. Man, at 20, I, I knew a lot. When I was a teenager, I knew a whole lot, right? And then as you get older, you start to realize that, that, that really there are some things in life that maybe we misunderstood and we really start to put value on the things that are important and, and those really start to be defined for us. Think of it this way. If you could sit down with yourself at the age you are now, if you could sit down with yourself 20 years ago, would the advice that you'd give to the version of yourself 20 years ago be different? What about 10 years ago? What if you now sat down with you from 10 years ago? You've probably learned some things. And this is what Paul says. He says, I, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And in the language that he's using here, the word content, this is what it would mean. It would be sufficient for oneself. Strong enough or possessing enough to need no aid or support independent of external circumstances. See, for us, we're so dependent on the external to bring contentment in our life, right? It ebbs and flows. Oftentimes, our, our, our peace or our joy or our contentment depends upon what's happening in life. It, happens, it depends upon how much is in the bank account. It depends upon whether people are saying good or bad things about us. It depends upon whether our home is what we would consider to be presentable. It depends upon the value that we place upon ourselves. There's so many external circumstances that can cause us to go one way or the other. And Paul says, I've learned the secret to not being influenced by the outside sources. I've learned the secret to having a peace in life. Does this sound attractive to anyone else. I've learned the secret to stop striving to success based off of what culture says and based off of what everyone else says. He says, I've had a ton. I've had a little. I've been hungry. I've been fed and I've learned. I've learned the secret to contentment. And that's where we get verse 13. He says, I can do all of this what the NIV says, all of this. And when I think of this, I think of the high mountaintops and the low wildernesses and the valley in between. He says, I can do all of this. I can do all of life through him, through Christ who gives me strength. He says, my identity, my, my sense of being, my competence, everything about me is wrapped up in Christ. Says so this is who I am. How can I do things through Christ? How can I do things through him who gives me strength? First of all, I have to be reminded 
that I'm identified by who I am in Christ. Ninety times in Paul's letters does he use the phrase, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. But often what you and I want to do is we want our identity to be found in our job, in our possessions, in our past, in our success, in our feelings, in our failures, in our job, in our status, in our possessions. And Paul, over and over and over again, he says, I know intellectually and allowing it to pierce your God would allow me to preach things that just apply to you and don't apply to me. But he just doesn't give me the privilege of doing that. Because oftentimes the things that I share, and for sure the things that I've gotten to share with your students this weekend and what I'm sharing with you this morning, they, they come from a deep place of wrestling with God myself. Because if I'm real honest with you, I've put my identity in all of the things that are on the screen. I've put my identity in my job. I've put it in my family. I put it in my success, I put it in my failures, I put it in my past, I put it in my idea of what the future is going to look like. And those are moments in, in, in my life where I start to find that my focus gets turned off of Christ. And really what, what is so hard for us to wrap our heads around is that the grace of God is so good that we could be defined not by external things, but we can be defined by who we are in Christ. And First John, it says, see what great love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called children of God. There's no title that's been given to us that's higher than a child of the one true king. It's in Christ. But often, often we're so defined by all of these other things. I shared this quote with your students. It's from A.W. Tozer, and he says, It is not Christ plus something else. Jesus is enough. It's not Christ plus something. It's Jesus, period. But oftentimes it's hard for us to wrap our heads around the fact that the grace and the love of God could actually be that sufficient that he could be enough. Because if you're anything like me, we put a lot of value and a lot of effort in our striving to please God, in our striving to please others, in our striving to get it right. And what really defines us is Christ, period. At the end of the day, if everything was stripped away, would Christ be enough for you? Paul says, that's where I'm at. I've learned it. I haven't always been there. But I've learned that Christ is enough. Through him, I can handle any and every circumstance. Not because of who I am, but because of who Christ is in me. So I shared this illustration with your students this weekend. And I, I, I talked to them about these mountaintop uh, valley and wilderness experiences and the illustration that we used is we said for all of us that are in this room that that have accepted the mercy and grace of God and have allowed Jesus to come in and to be the boss of our life there was probably a mountaintop experience prior to that maybe you viewed God as distance the heat distant that he was in the cosmos or he was out somewhere else but 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 hopefully you've had this experience in life where you've surrendered control of your life to Christ and what you found is that God really is Emmanuel right he's God with us that he's not distant but he's here and he says that he sent his helper the Holy Spirit to live inside of us and this is what life in Christ looks like can't be separated can't be uh, disjointed this is me this is Jesus this is life 
in Christ. And for many of us, this is a mountaintop, should be a mountaintop experience. And as I talk to your students, said we go through life and sometimes we come into the valley and, and the valley can be mundane and all types of things can happen in the valley. We can be in the presence of our enemies in the valley. We, we can suffer hardships in the valley. We can also have um, incredible times of closeness with God in the valley. But this is where the majority of life is lived. But for some of us, there are times in the valley where maybe we make choices or things happen to us. And we feel like God has detached himself and he's turned his back. And, and the danger is that we may go running into the wilderness at this point. And we feel like this is how things are with God. And see, we, we recognize that our feelings cannot always be trusted, right? Have you ever been there? And that what's true about you is what God says about you. But oftentimes it's difficult to always believe that. And sometimes we take off running. And what we talk to your students about this weekend is, is the discovery that God is with us everywhere we're at. He's in the valley. He's in the wilderness. Even when I feel like I've ran all the way over here and God has turned his back on me, the truth of the matter is this, is that God has not done that at all. That there may be times where you've made some choices and you feel like God wants nothing to do with you and the separation that exists between you and God has nothing to do with God and it has to do with you. If you've been there, that God didn't run away, that God is still there and God is saying, don't run from me. I am not distant, I'm present. And then even when we've been led into the wilderness for difficult times, that God is right there with us. So I shared this with your students. I started to think about this. I started to think about life in the valley and what it's looked like for me. And like I said, I, I, I wish that God would allow me to preach things that just apply to you and don't apply to me. So he said, I can't do that. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be pretty vulnerable with you guys this morning about what life in the valley has looked like for me. See, if I'm real honest with you, there are times in my life where life in the valley can just kind of be hum-ho and it can be mundane. And this message is really one that's been four years in development because I'm going to show you a picture of what my life looked like four years ago. See, it was me and Jesus. And yet also there started to be this thought in my mind. Well, God, I know that you're enough. Jesus, I know that you're enough. But hey, um, things aren't going the way necessarily that I'd like them to go. And I know you're my sufficiency, but I would just be so satisfied if you do fill in the blank. I don't know if you've ever been there. God, if only this next thing would happen, then that would bring some contentment and that would bring some peace in my life. And, and, and the story can vary. The, the chairs have represented different things in my life. But there was a point where it was, God, if you'll give me a family, then man, that, that would be great. And God provides. I, I've been married for 17 years. I have four beautiful children. But go, you know what, God, really, that, 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 I, I don't feel fulfilled. I don't feel uh, satisfied the way that I should. And, and for me, I poured a lot of time and energy in my life into striving, into trying to do things to make God love me more than he already does. I don't know if you can relate to that. And, and, and what I know about myself and my flesh, if I'm honest with you guys, I am a bottomless pit that wants to be fed all day long. And what I mean by that is I'm really good at setting the bar right here. And then when God allows me to accomplish something, then to move the bar to another place. And four years ago, I found myself perpetually trying to jump over a bar that I was moving higher and higher, all in the name of Jesus. 
Saying things like, God, if you just would allow me to speak to a crowd of 500, I'd be satisfied. And 500 happened, and that didn't do anything. And 1,000 happened, and that didn't do anything. And 1,500, and that, and that didn't do anything. And 2,000, and move on. And what I found is that I was throwing things into the bottomless pit. All in the name of Jesus, by the way. Jesus, I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to pray. I'm going to do all these things. And I'm going to show you that I am enough. I'm going to strive harder than I ever have before. Man, what started to happen in my life is Jesus was down there somewhere, but the stack was getting pretty heavy. And then if I'm honest with you guys, there have been times during my valley life where the striving can get so tired and it seems like I'm working so hard that I've turned to things that I've said, you know what, God, maybe this will bring me comfort. And I know that it doesn't honor you and I know that it doesn't bring glory to you, but maybe if I can just indulge in this thing and this vice that I know is not good for me, then maybe I'll feel like it's enough. Maybe I'll feel like I'm enough. See, the thing about this stack right here is there's not a lot of movement going on. You know why? Because there's a lot of weight. Because it's heavy. Because although I knew intellectually that Christ was enough, what my life looked like was Jesus and a bunch of other stuff. Jesus and a bunch of other things. An attempt to fill a gap that only Jesus could fill in my life. And God is the good father that he is. He began to open up my eyes to his mercy and his grace. See for me for a long time I thought grace was something that you received just at salvation. And it kind of got out of the way. We sang about it being amazing. But as far as my life was concerned it was ho-hum. Right? Because I thought that I needed to do something in order to make God love me more than he already did. And I worked hard. And I strived hard. And I made effort. And I found myself in a position where God said, you know what? None of that will ever fulfill you. And none of that could make you righteous in my eyes. In fact, your righteousness is as filthy rags to me. See, I am sufficient. You could do nothing to make me more than I are, to make me love you more than I already love you because I sacrificed my son, Jesus, and he gave his life on the cross for you. And because of Christ, you are enough in him. Find rest in him. Find peace in him. Find contentment in him. And God began to unstack the junk that had been piled up high in my life. And see what starts to happen, right? As he unstacked these things, I'm able to view them in the perspective that they're supposed to be viewed in. See, I wish that I could tell you that as these things were unstacked in my life, that I could just tell you that my vices and the things that I struggled with, that they just went away. It'd be a great sermon illustration to douse this thing with gasoline and just light it up on fire. I might get in trouble. But wouldn't that be great, right? Like if now that I'm in Christ, if he just took the junk that I struggled with and if he just incinerated it, wouldn't that be awesome? And yet the Apostle Paul says, I was given a thorn in my flesh. And it didn't go away. I prayed three times that God would remove it. And his conclusion when he talks about that, he says, I've discovered that God's grace is sufficient. That it is enough. That Christ is enough. That oftentimes, although I wish that this would just go into a thousand pieces, that when it's in perspective, it does not dominate my life. It is not who I worship. But now as it is me and Christ, God will guide me along the path and he will allow me to not indulge in my flesh as I live in my spirit. But that doesn't mean that the temptation will go away. But what it does mean is it's not on the throne in my life. Because Christ is enough. And now there were some other things that were on here. 
that you go, Robert, you talked about family. Family is good. Please don't misunderstand. Family is good, but family is not God. And what I discovered in my own life is this, is I had put my family on the throne. And when I say that, I mean this. I had put very unrealistic expectations upon my children and upon my home that I wanted them to fill a gap in my life that they could never fill. Right? I wanted them to fill something for me that they would never be able to fill. I wanted them to make me feel sufficient and to make me feel like I was enough. And at the end of the day, no human individual can ever do that. It's only Christ. And as I unstacked that, even in my relationship with my wife, and, and moved her into a position where I could love her as her husband, and I could love her and I could view you not as somebody that needed to fulfill me, but somebody that God has given me as a great blessing. I could see her that way. So my frustration wouldn't be with the fact that she wasn't fulfilling me because at the end of the day, your spouse can't fill the hole in your heart that only Jesus can fill. And neither can your job. And neither can your success and neither can your money and neither can any of the striving and the effort that we put so often into trying to make it Jesus plus something else. Christ is enough. See, for me in my life these days, it's not perfect. And I still fall into these times where I realize that I'm trying to strive and I am so reminded of the grace and mercy of our loving Father. I took your students through um, the 23rd Psalm. And in the NIV, verse 1 of the 23rd Psalm says, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. I lack nothing. I've got everything I need in Christ. In Christ, I can be the husband he's called me to be. I can be the pastor he's called me to be. I can be the friend he's called me to be. I can be the man of God he's called me to be. I can be in the business place who he's called me to be in Christ. It's through Christ that he's magnified and that he's lifted up, not when those things are on the throne instead of Christ. So two thoughts as we come to a conclusion here this morning. See, the truth is God, as he leads us as the good shepherd that he is, he speaks to us. And he guides us. And for me, often that separation in my life from a lot of those chairs came from conviction that God would bring in my life as the good shepherd. And I just want to draw a distinction here. See, here's conviction. The conviction that comes from God, it separates our identity and our behavior. So I want us to understand for many of us, we we start to link our identity and our behavior together. And we say, well, I messed up. And because of that, I'm a failure. I drank, so I'm a failure. I, 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 um, I, I committed adultery, so I'm an adulterer. And we, we, we connect, right? We connect our behavior with our identity. And Paul, over and over and over and over again in Philippians, he tells us, uh, throughout his letters, he tells us, we are in Christ. That's what defines me. It is not my behavior, it's not my past, it's not my mistakes, but what happens is conviction separates our identity from our behavior, and it says your identity is you're a child of God, and now that you know that, God's going to deal with the behavior, God's going to guide you along the path of righteousness, and what's going to happen is it's going to produce peace. See, the alternative is guilt, and here's what guilt does, it links It links our identity and our behavior together. 
Don't come to church, you're messed up. Don't go to that small group, you know, you know what you did. You, you, you don't need that because you're successful and you've got enough money and you've got life figured out. And because you, you, you've got a successful business and you make a lot of money, that means that you're right with God, right? It links our identity and our behavior. And you know what guilt does? Guilt produces shame. A guilt that's not from God. And we're defining conviction as what is from God. But guilt leaks our identity to our behavior and it produces shame. And you know what shame makes us want to do? It makes us want to run away from God. Makes us want to run the other direction. So we've got some questions I want you to think about as we come into a time of response this morning. First question is this, is how would your life look different if you stopped looking to outside sources for fulfillment? Just think about that this morning. Can you be real honest with yourself? Husbands, wives, singles, grandparents, all of us that are sitting in this room, can you think about for a second, when you look at the stacks of chairs that I put up here, is Jesus enough? Or does your life look like Christ in something else? Are you, are you depending upon something else or someone else Some outside source for fulfillment. Question number two. Are you content in Christ? Are you content in Christ? With heads bowed and with eyes closed. We come into this time of response. I just want to... um, Then I want to ask you a question, church. With heads bowed, eyes closed, and nobody looking around. Who in here would just be honest with me? And I promise I'm not going to call you out. But who in here would say, hey, Robert, would you pray for me this morning? Because if I'm honest, I can relate to that stack of chairs. Because right now, my throne is filled with lots of things. It's Jesus plus a bunch of other stuff. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Any hands like that this morning? Man, thank you guys so much for your honesty. Thank you so much for your transparency. I appreciate that. You can put your hands back down. I want you to consider for a moment the sweet voice of a loving father that is a good shepherd that's whispering into your ear saying, I'm enough. Perhaps it starts with maybe he's identified one thing that you need to unstack. As you unstack that one thing, you continue to be faithful and he'll show you the next. But I want to challenge you just to unstack one of those things this morning that he's identified to you and say, God, I'm going to put this in the position that you want it to be in. And I submit to your control. God, we love you. We praise you. We admit that you are enough this morning. Pray these things in your name. Amen. Church, you can respond in a number of different ways. If you'd like to write down a prayer, you know you can do that and put it on the cross. If you'd like for somebody to pray for you, you can come forward and they would do that as well. 
If you'd like to take communion, the elements are available for you to do that. However it is that God is speaking to you this morning. Lots of hands went up and said, man, God's dealing with me. Man, I'm right there with you. Don't walk out of this place this morning with that same burden that you, that you carried in. 